Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. It's Matt here, and at the end of this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Journey app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app's the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and to keep up with everything going on around here at Journey. Just search Journey Calway in your app store. Now, most importantly, I hope this message inspires you to take your next step in following Jesus. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're starting a brand new series today called Me Versus Me. And in this series, I'm going to introduce a lot of ideas, a lot of concepts that may be new to many of you, maybe a refresher for a few of you, and it may just be some ideas you've heard before but have always been confusing. So if you get to the end of today and you've got a lot of questions, that is fine. We're going to take the entire four-week series to unpack some of these ideas. But I want to start by telling you something that you already know. It is impossible to solve a problem if you don't know what's causing the problem. Isn't that true? It's impossible to solve a problem if you don't know what's at the root of the problem. Now, the reason I bring that up is because some of you have been trying to solve you for quite a while. You have bought things trying to solve you, fix you, change you. You have paid for help trying to solve you. You have read books trying to solve you. You've come to church trying to solve you. And in spite of your best efforts, you haven't been able to solve you. And let's be honest. When you can't solve, fix, or change certain things about you, it costs you, doesn't it? It's cost some of you the ability to advance in your career. You always keep bumping up. You want to go to the next level. You want to get that promotion. You never do. Because, and you know, there's something in you. There's something about you that you haven't been able to change, and it keeps you from advancing in your career. For some of you, it's prevented you from succeeding at school the way you want to succeed at school. For some of you, it's prevented you from connecting with people the way you want to connect with people. And it's so frustrating to you because you never seem like you can get meaningful relationships that last for a lengthy period of time. And you want to blame all the other people and what's their fault and well, they didn't care and well, this and this. But the reality is when you look around, there's a pattern, isn't there? And there's only one common denominator in the pattern. And it's you, it's you. There's something about you you haven't been able to change. And it's preventing you from connecting and having meaningful relationships. For some of you, your inability to solve you has cost you your reputation, it's cost you your character. It's cost you time. It's cost you money. It's cost you a marriage. It's cost you self-esteem. It's cost you a lot of things. And the reason you haven't been able to change, fix, or solve yourself is simply because you haven't been able to figure out what's actually causing the problem. So what I want to do for the next four weeks is I want to explain to you what's at the root of your problem. By the way, it's the same thing at the root of my problem. And then we're going to look at the solution to this thing, the solution that will allow us to change. Now, I would not presume to be smart enough to be able to tell you what your problem actually is. So don't be offended by that. But Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he had no problem telling you and me what our problem is. And the reason he had no problem telling us is because it was his problem too. And once he figured out what was at the root of his problem and discovered the solution to it, he spent the rest of his life traveling around the known world telling everybody who would listen, hey, here's your problem. It was my problem. Now it's your problem. But here's how you can solve it. So I want to read you a little bit of what he wrote in a letter to Christians living in Rome where he talks about this. And we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at some of the statements he makes in this letter because they are so extraordinary and they're so helpful. But Paul starts, if you find yourself resisting him going, Paul, what do you know about me? You lived 2,000 years ago. Well, Paul starts by helping us to understand that he knows a lot about us because he is one of us. Here's how Paul describes his problem. He says, I do not understand what I do. 
For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Can anybody relate to this? I can't do what I want to do. I keep doing all the things I don't want to do. Paul says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Now, when he talks about the law, you should just think standard, okay? So here's what Paul is saying. He's going, hey, there is a standard that I'm trying to live my life by, and I believe this standard is good. I believe it's right. I've got a standard, a list of ought to's and ought nots. You know, a person should always, a person should never. Hey, I believe this is right and this is wrong. We've all got some standard. Paul's going, I have a standard, and I'm convinced that my standard will make my life better, and yet in spite of the fact I know it's in my best interest, I still can't live up to my own standard. I still can't follow the law, even though I know the law is good. We can relate, can't we? Because you have a standard. Some of us, we got our standard from God. Some of us, we got our standard from our parents. Some of us, we got our standard from our culture. Some of us just made up our standard ourselves. For most of us, let's be honest, it's a mix of two or more of those things. But you live by a standard. You live by a set of beliefs, a set of ought to's and ought not to's, that you are certain if I live by this standard, it is in my best interest. So let me ask you the question Paul asked himself. Why, why can you not live by a standard that you yourself have agreed is good and that you yourself are certain is in your best interest? What's wrong with you? Why would you self-sabotage? You've felt that frustration, haven't you? So have I. Well, Paul says, hey, I can tell you why you can't follow a standard that you have agreed is in your best interest. Here was Paul's answer to what is causing your problem and my problem and his problem too. He says, as, as it is, it is no longer myself who does it, but it is sin living in me. Sin living in me. It sounds like a bad sci-fi movie, right? It's like, you know, those low-budget deals where some alien inside of somebody controlling everything? Is that what you're saying, Paul? And Paul goes, well, kind of. There is something alien or foreign, Paul says, that's inside of you and me. Alien and foreign in the sense that we weren't created for it to be there. It was never intended to be in us. And we're going to come back to this idea in a minute, but he's going to continue to explain this. Look at what he says next. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That's in my, and here he comes back to this idea, that is in my sinful nature. Now, he's not saying there's no good in you at all. It's not what he's saying. He's saying there is no good in the sinful nature inside of you. Well, what do you mean by sinful nature? Well, we'll get to that. He goes on, he says, for I have the desire to do what is good. But here's my problem. I cannot carry it out. So there's clearly some good in me and there's some good in you because we have a desire to do what is good. The problem is we can't figure out how to carry it out. Now, move the sinful nature part to the side for just a minute, okay? Can't we all agree whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, church person, not a church person, whether you believe in God or not, can't we all agree that it is frustrating, that we all have the same problem, that we all have the same tension, that we all have the same struggle, that there are things we want to do and we just can't seem to always do them. There are things that we don't want to do and we find ourselves doing them again and again. What is up with that? You want to be healthy, you want to eat right, and you want to exercise, and you just can't seem to do it. You want to be disciplined with your money, you want to be a good money manager and live on a budget, and you just can't seem to do it. You want to control your temper, and you want to be more patient with people, and yet you just can't seem to do it. You want to stop looking at those things, 
You want to stop saying those things. You want to stop gossiping about those people. And you get it right every now and then, but then after just a little while, there you go right back to that behavior. You just can't seem to solve, fix, or change you. Why is that? Well, it is not, come on, you know this, it is not because you need more information. It's not because I need more information. Human beings have never had more information than we do in our world today. Just be honest with yourself. Do you really need another diet? Do you really need another self-help book? Do you really need somebody to come along and tell you, hey, looking at that pornography, it's polluting your relationships? No, you don't need somebody coming along giving you more information about what to do or not to do. You've got all the information you need already. And this is Paul's point. Paul says, information is not our problem. There is something bigger going on inside of you. And what Paul believed and what Paul taught is that what's going on inside of you and me is we have a sin nature. It was not a nature God created us with originally as human beings. It was a nature that came when sin entered the world. And it broke everything in this world, including your nature and my nature. And the sin nature inside of you and me is more powerful than any of us. No human is strong enough to tame it. No human is disciplined enough to control it. But, Paul says, there is a solution to it. You can overcome your sin nature. Now, he's going to talk about the solution right here in this section we're reading. And I'm going to come back to that in a second. But I want to take you back a little earlier in his letter to the Romans. Because earlier on, he introduces the solution in a way that maybe will connect some dots for you and for me. Just two chapters earlier in Romans 5, here's what he wrote. He said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, powerless to what? Well, Paul would say powerless to our sin nature. When we were sitting there incapable of doing the things that we know we should do, and we were incapable of not doing the things that we knew we shouldn't, at just the right time, when you and I were still powerless to this sin nature inside of us, he says, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, this is where we all resist. This is where we all push back. This is where pride starts to well up inside of all of us, and we go, no, no, no. Okay, that's a little harsh, and Paul, you don't know me. I'm not ungodly. I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm not ungodly. Well, when Paul calls you and me ungodly, he's not saying we're the worst people on the planet, okay? Here's what he's saying. He's saying God is perfect. You are imperfect, which makes you unlike God, which makes you ungodly. That's all he's saying. God's perfect. You're not perfect. So you are not like God. You are ungodly. So we all have a tendency to look around and compare with each other and go, well, I'll show you some ungodly people. I know some. That's just not me. And Paul goes, no, no, you're comparing to the wrong thing. The, the standard is God. He's perfect. You're not perfect. You're not like God. You're ungodly. If you want to compare to Sue, then you can say, well, I'm unsuely, but and that's fine, okay? I'm not like Sue, but we're not comparing to Sue. We're comparing to God, so you're ungodly. I'm ungodly. I'm not like God. Now, if you find yourself pushing back or offended by that, there's some bad news and some good news to this, okay? The bad news is you were ungodly. The good news is you're in good company. You're in good company because this levels the playing field. If the standard is perfection, if the standard is God, then we're all in the same boat, aren't we? We are all in the same category. We all fall on the same section of ungodly. Just label us all that. 
were ungodly. Which means, by the way, for those of you who are not followers of Jesus or you're not church people, and church people drive you crazy because they act like they're better than you. Well, next time they do and they send that message to you, you can look back and say, hey, have you ever read your buddy Paul? He said you're ungodly, so welcome to the club. Because we all are, okay? We all are. But Paul tells us there is a solution to the fact that we are ungodly. He says Christ died for us. Now, before he explains why that's so important, he dives into the reason behind why Christ died. Look at what he writes next. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. This is his way of saying, okay, it's very, very rare for somebody to give their life for someone else. But every now and then you see this, don't you? You see people who sacrifice themselves for others they believe are good. We watch our military do this all the time. We have a history in our country of people doing this, laying down their lives for others that they believe are good and worth laying down their lives for. Paul says, okay, you're going to see that every now and then. (laughs) But that is not what was happening when Jesus died. Look at what he says next. But God, okay, God's about to do something very different than what you humans do for each other. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us us. This was Paul's way of saying, God didn't die. Jesus didn't die for a bunch of good people. Jesus died for ungodly people. He died for sinners. It's not unusual for a subject or for a group of subjects to die for their king. It's more unusual to see a king die for his subjects, but it is unheard of for a king to die for subjects who are in rebellion to him. And Paul is saying that is exactly what Jesus did for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, Jesus chose to lay down his life for us. He knew, now think about this, he knew every sin you were going to commit, every time you were going to hurt someone, every time you were going to rebel against him, he knew every sin you would ever commit. And he thought you were worth dying for anyway. Which leads us to the question, well, why did Jesus have to die for my sins? Why did Jesus have to die because I'm ungodly? We're going to talk more about that over the next few weeks, but I'll give you a short Cliff Notes version of the answer, okay? Jesus died for us for two reasons. One, to free us from the penalty of our sin. What's the penalty of our sin? Well, ultimately, it's death. We've talked about this. That when sin first entered the world, it broke everything. But sin didn't come by itself. Sin was not on a solo trip. Sin came with a posse. Sin brought with it sorrow, suffering, sickness, and ultimately death. And you know this. Wherever there is sin, there's death. There's a death of relationships. There's a death of finances. There's a death of dreams. Ultimately, there's physical death. And there's spiritual death. There's a separation between us and God. Because God's perfect. We're not perfect. There's a separation. So part of the reason Jesus died on a Roman cross was to pay the penalty for all of our sins. Justice had to be served, but he said, don't make the guilty party serve it. I'll take it on their behalf. And he paid the penalty, not just of our physical death, he paid the penalty by taking on our spiritual death for us. The other reason Jesus died is he freed us from the power of our sin. And this is what Paul is getting at here. He freed us from the power of the sin nature that controls us. Paul's point, and we'll dive into this more in the next few weeks. 
Paul's point is that apart from Jesus and what he did for us on the cross in breaking the power of sin in our lives, apart from him, we can't overcome this sin nature on our own. We can monitor our behavior. We can filter our behavior. We can get pretty good at controlling our behavior. But we actually can't tame the sin nature. Inside of us, there is always this desire to do what's wrong. Inside of us, there are still these times where we just can't filter it, manage it, control it, and we're going to act out and do the very thing we don't want to do or not do the very thing that we do want to do. And you know that from experience, and so do I, because that has happened to us over and over and over again. So Paul says Jesus shows up to be the solution, not just for the penalty of our sin, but for the power that sin has over us as well. So back to where we were originally reading. Paul says, all right, so I don't do what I want to do. I do the very things that I don't want to do. I can't figure out what's wrong with me. And then I finally figure out, well, there's a sin nature in me. And this sin nature is more powerful than I am. I can control it for just a little bit, but I can't tame it. Eventually it breaks free and I end up doing what what it's driving me to do, even though I don't want to do it. So Paul goes, okay, what am I going to do with this? And how do I find a solution to it? And here's how he explains it in Romans 7. He says, what a wretched man I am. Not wretched because I drive five miles over the speed limit and I can't load the dishwasher like she wants me to load it. No, 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 it's way worse than that. Paul's going, I know what's going on inside of me. I may look like a good person to you, but I'm filtering all of my behavior. I know inside of me what my desires are. I know inside of me what I really want to do. I know inside of me what I really want to say. I know inside of me all the things I'm thinking. And I know the things I do when nobody is looking. What a wretched man that I am. Why? Because this sin nature is controlling me. So then he asks a question. Well, who will rescue me? Let me just pause right there. Most of us ask the question, what will rescue me? When we're trying to change, we go, okay, what, what's going to do it? What's going to help me change? What's going to fix me? Paul says, no, you shouldn't look for what? Don't look for another book. Don't look for another guide. Don't look for another purchase. Don't look for another relationship. No, 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 that's not what's going to fix it. He says, who will rescue me from this body, this subject, to death, because that's where sin's leading me. And then he gives us the answer. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, Paul says, there is only one solution that I found, but there's only one solution we need. We're all looking for hope. Here's where hope is found. That while we were still sinners, God looked down and saw us right in the middle of our sinning right in the middle of our mess. And he did not abandon us. He did not turn his back on us. That Jesus stepped out of the glory of heaven into the very gore and sin of earth. And he rescued us. He died for us. He rose again and he delivered us from the power and the penalty of the sin nature that's driving you and driving me. Which was Paul's way of saying, Once you become a follower of Jesus, once you embrace the forgiveness and the freedom that he offers you, your sin nature doesn't have power over you anymore. Now, I know that brings up a lot of questions. It brings up the question of, well, why was I born with a sin nature to begin with? That doesn't seem fair. It's a good question. We're going to answer that in the next few weeks. Well, wait a minute. I'm not even sure that, you know, I'm not even sure that I need God and I want God. How can you say this is the only way? It's a good question. We're going to answer that in the next few weeks. Well, I've tried, Matt. I've tried. I've tried. 
and I'm a follower of Jesus, but I still keep doing all these things. I still can't keep changing. So maybe it's just not working for me. Now we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. But here's what I want you to think about today. I want to give you a couple of questions just as we get started that I hope you'll discuss with whoever you're watching this with, your family, your loved ones, your friends, that you'll have a conversation with a couple people around these questions. Let me focus on this first one. Are you willing to acknowledge that you can't fix you? And what's keeping you from admitting that? Now think about that. Are you willing to acknowledge that you can't fix you? That's hard for some of us, isn't it? Because we've got enough pride. We just, we want to be independent and we want to depend on nobody but us. We want to, we want to assume, we want to believe that we can fix anything. But Paul would say, nope, there is something you can't fix. Your sin nature is too strong to tame. It's too powerful to control. Are you willing to acknowledge that you can't fix you? For all of you who go, well, I don't think I need God. I just don't think I need God. Paul would go, okay, go ahead. Try to change, try to change, try to change. But you know, you can't consistently live up to your own standard, much less God's. So maybe you need someone more powerful than you to solve you. For all of us who are Christians and we say, well, God, thank you for the forgiveness. I'm, everything's good with my eternity. Thanks so much for that. Now I'll just be on my way and we kind of do our own thing and live our own way and we don't depend on God. Paul would say, oh, well, you can do that. But you're still not going to be able to overcome your sin nature. You're still not going to be able to live by the standard that you want to live your life by because you don't have the power in and of yourself to do it on your own. So, it's a simple question, but it's a difficult one to answer, isn't it? Are you willing to acknowledge that you can't fix you? I want to encourage you today just to make that decision. We'll figure out what you need to do moving forward over the next few weeks as we go through me versus me. But the first step to not being your own worst enemy is to acknowledge that you can't solve you, you can't fix you, you can't change you. You need a power greater than you. You need someone greater than you to help you. Now, for some of you, you have never acknowledged this to God. For whatever reason, you've tried to be a good person. You may be very religious, and you may be trying to live up to God's standards and live in a way that you, know, you think he's going to be proud of you. But you're trying to earn everything, and you're trying to do everything, and you're simply depending on you. You've never actually acknowledged, okay, God, I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I need you. I need you. And I want to invite you for the first time to have enough humility today to admit to God that you can't fix you. Because when you do that, that is the step, the only step you have to take to embrace the freedom and the forgiveness and the grace that he offers you. And that's the first step to a life of freedom from the power the sin nature in you has over you. So if you've never prayed a prayer like this, I wanna encourage you to tell God this. Jesus, I can't fix me, but I believe you can. I give you my life. It's that simple. Jesus, I can't fix me. I'm going to be humble enough to admit that. But I believe you can. I'm going to trust you enough. And now I'm going to surrender. I give you my life. Would you pray that? You are ungodly. That's the bad news. But the good news is you're in good company. We all need someone to rescue and save us. And the best news of all is someone 
already has. His name is Jesus. He died and rose again for you, and he invites you to follow him. Let's pray together. God, thank you for caring about us, for loving us so much that the king was willing to die for his subjects who were in rebellion. Just blows my mind every time I think about it. Thank you that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And as we continue to pray, some of you, you've never prayed this prayer, you've never acknowledged this to God. I wanna encourage you to acknowledge right now that you just can't fix you. It's a first step in changing. It's a first step towards hope. Would you just pray right where you are? Jesus, I can't fix me, but I believe you can. I give you my life. It really is that simple. It really is that simple. If you prayed that prayer right now, God just adopted you and made you a part of his family. That's all it takes. That humility is all it takes to reach out and experience his forgiveness and his freedom. So if you prayed that for the first time, I want to encourage you just to grab your phone wherever you are and text the word follow Jesus, make it all one word, follow Jesus to 555-888. We'll get that. And we just want to reach out to you and celebrate with you, answer any questions you have and give you some resources to help you as you figure out your next step. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for a grace that is greater and bigger than all of our sin. Thanks for a love that is deeper than our rebellion. And thanks for the reminder that while we don't have enough strength, enough discipline, enough power to solve us, to fix us, to change us, we're not left alone. You will help us to become who you create us to be. And you'll free us from the power of sin in our lives. So as we go through these next few days and few weeks of this series, help us learn how not to be our own worst enemy. And help us become not just who we want to be, but even better than that, who you created us and intended for us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would really be helpful. And if you live near our church, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our phenomenal children and student environment, just visit us at journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Look forward to seeing you soon.